I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on this beautiful Saturday morning for the KSL Greenhouse. Ton, it's been a long, stressful week in the news, and I'm telling you, it's a pleasure to be here and just talk about plants and problems in the yard. So, you know, thanks for having me as your co-host on the Greenhouse Show. No, it's all good. <laughs> Whenever you can talk about plants, and the worst part of the day is a plant is dying. <laughs> The world's okay. Okay, I'm saying so. that today, but when some of my plants are dying, <laughs> yeah, a state of panic as well. Yeah, I guess for me, the perspective you know, you hate to have your beautiful beautiful plants go down, and mm-hmm. I don't want to minimize problems, especially on your lawns and things. Sure, but if that's the worst thing in your life, then it's okay. It's okay. It's a first world yeah. problem, isn't it? It is. Yeah, we already have callers on the line waiting for us this morning. The plant of the week, though, is the Lysianthus, and this is one that I picked this week. It's an annual here in Utah, but I just love Lysianthus. I just think it's so beautiful, and if you go to, you know, say Red Butte Gardens, you know, they have a ton of Lysianthus for you to see. It's one that is, I think, underused in Utah landscapes. I One of the reasons, I believe, is that it takes a long time to start in the greenhouse, they have to be started in January to be ready by mid-May. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a long time for them. And it's difficult for hobby growers to grow on their own because of their long growing season and some maybe lack of a greenhouse. Yeah, and it so is kind of a, a hobby thing, common. though, isn't it? It's not something most people, you know, try to start from seed. It's not. And you can pick these up from the garden centers. They always have them in the spring. But uh, one thing that's unique about them is it's one of the few North American native plants that we use as an annual that is actually native to the North American continent. Most, you know, the marigolds are native, but a lot of things that we're using are native to Asia and to the tropics. 
And so it's kind of fun to use something that is native to Texas, southern Colorado, parts of New Mexico, you know, those warmer areas where it's actually a short-lived perennial. But it's really fun to use something from home. It's fun to add some interest to your flower beds, right? It's not something you're going to do a mass planting of. No, and you can. It may be a little expensive, but these, depending on the variety of Lysianthus, they will get anywhere from, there's some dwarf varieties at six inches, but most of them are 18 inches to maybe two, two and a half feet. And so they occupy quite a bit of space once they're established. I was trying to decide how to describe the flower. What do you think that this flower looks most like? Well, they're oftentimes mistaken for peonies, um, sometimes for not roses. Quite as full they're not as a peony. And they're a member of the gentian family, and so a little bit like the uh, um, oh no, the name slipping my name with the uh, hellebores. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, they're related to hellebores in the same family. And so they have their, but it's a very unique flower. Sometimes they are even maybe mistaken for anemones, depending on what it is, but it's a very unique look. And the flower colors come in whites, pinks, and purples. Okay. What conditions do they like? Full sun. So at least six hours of hot sun, but being native to areas of Texas that are climatically similar to St. George not quite as hot in the summer, but still hmm. very similar. They tolerate hot sun and heat quite well. Mm-hmm. And so you can use them on a south exposure or just other areas. Say you, you have a you know a bed along the street or something in your park strip that you've ripped out. Those are areas that they are happy because of that summer heat. Would they overwinter in St. George? Yes, they would. Okay. Um, you might, in but fact... they're biennial. Yeah, biennial, and some of the fact sheets I read up on say they're short-lived perennials. And so biennial is the safer bet. And so if you plant them and they're already flowering, they're probably going to die out anyway. Because the first year they form a rosette and collect the sun's energy and flower the next year to produce seed. And so if they're greenhouse grown, they probably wouldn't overwinter. But if you wanted to try you would cut them back in northern Utah and cover them with some straw and and then maybe even some cow manure on top of there, like the manure compost, to create some heat and then pull that off the next year to see if they re-sprout. How about soil and water conditions? They like a lot of organic matter in the soil. And so when you plant them, stir an inch or so of compost six inches deep or maybe even two inches of compost six inches deep around the base and to keep them happy that way. But they are actually fairly tolerant of our alkaline soil here. And so we shouldn't have to give them any supplemental iron or anything. How much water do they need? Two to three times a week, six inches deep. They're not really really drought hardy. They're not. Okay, not not water-wise. No. But most annual flowers have to be watered more than other things. You know, if you're wanting water-wise, there are a list of things you can use, but this isn't among them. Isn't one of them, but it is such a beautiful flower. It is. And, I mean, you grow these, and... Have you? I have just a few. Yeah, it's one of those that I'm just using as a point of interest, and I have them in you know along my front walkway, right where I have a courtyard. So I have them in my courtyard. They're just a little special 
just adding a little bit of special color yeah. in there. But yeah, like I said, it's not one that I would plant profusely. First of all, expense, right? And I, since I don't have enough time or the space to grow them from seed, that's not happening. Yeah. And so they're one that you almost use like an ornamental sunflower. You know, and they're all sunflowers do not get six or eight feet tall. There's many ornamental ones, but they can cost four or five dollars a piece. Lysianthus usually aren't that much, but here and there. But one thing I was going to ask you is that because they're normally, you know, in the wild, they grow in a warmer climate. Mm-hmm. Do they bloom the entire season for you? Yes. Or, and so they bloom the entire season. I have to stake them because they're probably about 18 inches tall and I don't want them to fall over. Even though I have, they're being watered by a drip system, but still, yeah. sometimes they just, like, they like to flop over. Yeah, and so if you were in St. George or Moab with a longer growing season, you can deadhead them and do some pruning to cause them to rebloom. And in the warmer climates, like if you were in central Florida, uh, they actually will, you know, even southern Texas, bloom through the winter. So wow, they're just super a neat beautiful plant. right now. I'm enjoying them today in my courtyard. Yeah, super neat plant that I think folks should try out. Just two or three of them here and there, and just enjoy their beauty. Are they pretty insect tolerant, disease tolerant? There's not many diseases that get them. Okay. It seems to be fairly insect free. It doesn't mean some aphids or something can't get on the on them like western flower thrips. But horticultural soap should. Take care of that. All right. And you can see a full article on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. Coming back with your calls and questions, Don is already on the line. We'll go to him next. Number to call, 801-575-8255. You can text us, 57500. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. And if you missed the plant of the week, it's Lysianthus this week, and you can find a full article on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. Let's go to Don in Holiday. Good morning, Don. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Glad to hear from you this morning. What was your question? You know, this spring I've started growing raspberries and blackberries, and they're starting to grow and get to kind of some longer vines, somewhere between three and four feet. And I know that sometimes they can be put up on trellises or uh, fenced up. And I'm wondering if this first year, if that's something to do, if, or because there's going to have to be pruning done anyway, if I should wait till next year. And what kind of uh, fencing is suggested to hold to hold these vines up? This is going to depend on how serious you are about growing them. And if you're just wanting to grow them on a fence line, you know, not a lot needs to happen. But if you're wanting to grow them for, you know, like professionally, like you're going to be trellising them and, you know, going in and doing pruning a couple times during the summer, then it's going to be a different situation. So yeah, I don't go ahead. I don't have a fence there at all now, so I'm interested in putting up something that they could kind of grow along. The simplest trellis that I know of are is it going to include a couple of T posts, ten foot T posts pounded two feet into the ground. And mm-hmm. then USU has a fact sheet on this that you can look at the pictures. 
if you just do an internet search of USU extension and blackberries that give you one that you could look for, but it involves just fastening boards and one of them about two and a half or three feet wide. And then one a little lower and then running twine along the boards to contain the blackberries or the raspberries, whatever you're going to do. Now uh-huh. a, a better situation would be to run some 10 foot four by fours or even 12 foot four by fours into the ground and secure those with cement or some of that um, post foam that you can just dump in and it does its thing. You don't have to mix the cement and then run trellis wire about three feet off the ground and five feet off the ground and fasten those canes to the trellis wire. And there's pictures again in the fact sheets, but that would be the better trellis system to where you're using, you could even maybe get some wire online or from Steve Regan used for grapes that's uh, made for this that situation to trellis them too. Okay, so some of this information is available then online. That again to look at it was that USU extension, USU Black- extension and blackberries, and uh-huh. USU extension and raspberries, and it'll come up, and you can look at how to trellis and trellising options. Okay. Would you think this first year that that would be something to do? Or since we're, you know, there's really not any berries this year and the the vines are only about four feet. You're probably okay just letting them go this year. But the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be because the plants are just going to get bigger and bigger. So it might be something you work on this coming spring, you know, through late March and early April before they leaf out. But to really get them trained, you know, the sooner the better if you're going to do it. Okay, thank you. All right, Don, thanks for your call this morning. Next listener, Don, says, how do we eliminate spotted spurge that has infested our lawn? Can we treat it now? There's not a lot you can treat it with. You can try a product made by a company called Image, and it's called All-in-One Lawn Weed Killer. And I've talked to our producer, board operator, Dave, we need to give him a new title, like Super Board Engineer or something. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Engineering Captain of the Board or something. Anyway. Christmas Captain. Yeah, Christmas Captain of Engineering the Board. Yes. He liked Christmas Captain. So at any rate, um, I've had reports back that it does a pretty good job against the spurge. You know, some other things that you need to be doing are mowing higher so that the grass can shade the seeds out. Work on thickening the grass up in those areas. Check your irrigation because the spurge is usually more common in areas that are underwatered. Okay, next listener says they want to talk about bleeding hearts. They want to know when the summer dieback happens, do you cut them down? They say that there are new leaves that are growing at the base. You can leave the new leaves intact, but cut all the dead out. There's no reason to leave it. Uh, next listener says they saw a shrub at a nursery called Photinia. Is it Photinia? Yeah, Photinia. Photinia. Okay, and the leaves turn red on the edge, and they want to know how well they do here. They do fine. It, every 10 years or so we get you know some temperatures, minus 5, minus 10, that they can be damaged. They Even though the tag will say full sun, they need to be protected from winter sun, so grow them on a north or east exposure, and they get big. Uh, especially without renewal pruning, they can easily reach after five or six years, 10 feet. Oh, 
So they're big plants. They do great here. Yeah, and they do. And so the common variety is Fraser's Swatinia. There are a few dwarf ones out there that are half the size. But if you plant them, I would enjoy them and just expect that every five to ten years, they're going to be knocked down pretty hard by a frost, but they grow back. The other caveat with them is they are deer candy. Oh. Deer love them. And so if you have deer them. problems, then don't use them. Okay. We have some deer problems, yes. Uh, next listener needs some help with hollyhocks. They say that their 25-year-old hollyhocks did not bloom this year. The plants look healthy, but the flower buds were dry and just crumbled in your hand. Please help. The hollyhocks occasionally do this. It can be caused by insects feeding on them. It can also sometimes be caused by extreme heat. There's lots of different reasons. And if it was every blossom on every plant, that's usually environmental. Hmm. And so it could have been too hot when the blossoms were set and they didn't set properly. The only thing I can tell them to do is be patient and let them form new blossoms if they will. Let the younger plants form some blossoms. And it may be worth taking some samples into their local extension office letting them look at them under a scope to make sure that there isn't beetle damage or thrips damage that may have caused it. Uh, Next listener says that they saw on Instagram a video that when the time to remove tomato, when you do remove your tomato plants in the fall, you leave the roots in to decompose and they want your thoughts on that. If the tomatoes were not diseased, that's fine. You do want to remove the plants themselves and compost them if they weren't diseased. But you're never going to get all of the roots out. But when I pull my tomatoes up, I get the crown and roots around it. But when I pull them out, I'm sure I've left 50 to 75% of the roots in the ground anyway. Is there a reason just to cut it at the base and leave the roots in? Does it help It'll the soil add a and a little decom- bit of organic matter, but but it's not going to break down enough by the next year, is it? The roots will completely decompose, but the stem won't. And the, my only caution is, is if you grow a lot of tomatoes in the same space and can't rotate that much, I would never do that. And mm. if there were any diseases in the tomatoes, and you leave those stems and roots behind, there's more of a source for inoculum for the next time you try to grow potatoes, peppers, eggplants, or tomatoes in that area. Okay. And speaking of Instagram, we do have a great Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Michelle, our producer, puts up a fun quiz every week to see how well you were listening. And (laughs) there have been weeks where I I have actually not gotten the answer correct. It's just, it's fun to do. So check us out on Instagram. We need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news number for you to call 801-575-8255. Phone lines are open and you can text us 57500. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.